We're going to close out tonight with the final sermon for this series of meetings. I want to talk to you about the book of Amos. Amos is one of the 12 minor prophets. Okay, so Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, etc. Hosea, Joel, Amos. I want you to go to the book of Amos. There are nine chapters in the book of Amos. We are not going to read every verse of all nine chapters tonight. But I want to walk you through and I'm going to hit some highlights from those nine chapters. And I want to take some lessons from Amos. And I hope it, that as a closing message tonight, as a congregation of people, uh, you'll take the message of Amos. Amos was warning the people of God. And just to kind of back you up a little bit, get you a little context to the passage, you remember that Abraham, God came to Abraham, promised a promise. He said, I'm going to make a great nation of people out of you. He said, in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. He gave those promises to Abraham. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, twins. And if you remember the lineage, uh, Jacob and Esau, from the Esauites became the Edomites, which were at war against the Jacobites, which were the Israelites. And this is the lineage of Jacob. Jacob's name became Israel. He had 12 sons in its simplest form. I'm not going to get into all the caveats, but he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel in its simplest form. The fourth tribe, I told Levi he was the third son of Jacob today. I wanted to know if he introduced himself that way. But the fourth son, Judah, was the lineage of Christ. If you keep following Judah down, you're going to get through Christ. And a lot of the Old Testament history is bringing us down to these days of Christ. If you remember at one point in time, the people said, we want a king. And God said, you don't need a king. A king is going to take your young men. He's going to want an army. He's going to take your young women. Somebody's going to feed and clothe the army. He's going to take your money and tax you real heavy. Somebody's going to pay for the army. You don't need a king. They wanted a king anyway. And so God gave them a king. And if you remember, there were three kings. Saul, David, Solomon. Each one reigned approximately 40 years of peace. And you remember after Solomon's death, Solomon's son inherited the kingdom and he went to the old men and said, how do I lead God's people? And the old men said, be careful with them, ease, be easy with them. And he went to the young men and said, how do I lead God's people? And they said, if you think your dad was bad, you'd be worse. I mean, if you think your dad was a thumb, you'd be a fist. I mean, you get after it. And he listened to the advice of the young folks and not the older folks that had some wisdom about them when all this change was happening in the kingdom. And ultimately, the kingdom was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. King Rehoboam was the son of Solomon that became king of the two tribes to the south. Those 12 tribes split into 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. Rehoboam was king of the south. And Jeroboam was king of those ten tribes to the north. You remember the context of that. Now I want to pick up a little bit of the timeline for Amos. Was it about 740 B.C.? If you can read that, the Assyrian captivity came in 723 B.C. And what Amos was doing was prophesying that you're going to be destroyed. And he was talking, to, he came from the south, he was from the south, but he was prophesying to the God's people of the north. And if you recall during those days, they set up false places of worship in the north in two different places. Bethel was one of them. Dan was one of them. And they would set up uh, altars and so forth. And they weren't interested in worshiping the way God wanted them to worship. And 
we pick up the, in Amos chapter 1 and verse number 1. Let me talk to you a little bit about who Amos was. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So we've got a date on it. But I just want you to notice, first of all, he was a herdman of Tekoa, and, he, and it was during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So we got a time frame. We're able to date the book and kind of know what this prophecy was about. And it was during the days of Jeroboam, which was king of the north, okay, during this time frame. Amos 7, verse number 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. So another thing I want you to notice is he said I wasn't a prophet or a prophet's son. So Amos wasn't intended to be a prophet. He wasn't intended to tell God's people. He didn't think he had anything really to say. He said, nor was I the son of a prophet. And I, when I read that, I kind of think of Jerry McCorkle and Michael McCorkle. You know? you got a preacher and a preacher's son, and basically what he's saying is, I wasn't even trained in this. I don't know anything about this. I, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't the preacher's son. I'm just doing what it was that I was told. He said, I was just a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I'm just a very simple guy. I gathered sycamore fruit, and I was a herdman. I was out tending sheep, and that's all I was doing, taking care. And then I was told, go prophesy. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. So there I was told what it was I was supposed to do, and all I'm doing is out shepherding and gathering sycamore fruit, and all of a sudden I've been told, You need to go prophesy. You need to go tell these people about what it is that they need to do. So I want to notice a few things as we go through these nine chapters of the book of Amos. Number one is I want you to notice their attitude toward the poor. Okay? Amos chapter 4, verse number 1. Hear this word, ye kine of Bashan. So basically, he wasn't pleased with them. He basically calling them cattle. He said they're in the mountain of Samaria who oppress the poor, which crush the needy. So God came to him and said, I want you to prophesy to the people of Israel that they had gotten to where they didn't care about the poor that were around them. They didn't care about the needy that were around them. They were crushing people. They, not only did they not care about them, they were trying to destroy them, and they didn't have to begin with. So I just want you to notice their attitude toward the poor. Number two, I want you to notice that they refused to worship God correctly. Amos 4, verse number 4, they come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply thy transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. So I just want you to notice as you look at that passage, not only did they not care for the poor, but they weren't interested in worshiping God correctly. They came to Bethel, which is where they set up those false temples, false idols, and Gilgal, one of the places they set up the false false temples and idols and so forth. Your tithes after three years, they offered sacrifice of thanksgiving that had leaven in it, which they weren't supposed to do. It's supposed to be unleavened for the children of Israel. And they knew the word of God. Now, Amos is just a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and Amos is just a herdsman, and all of a sudden I've got this responsibility to go tell God's people up in the north that what you're doing is wrong. 
You are worshiping the wrong way. You don't care about poor folks, that kind of thing. John chapter 4, verse number 23 and 24. You're familiar, I'm sure, with this passage. But it says, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. For they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're commanded today to worship in spirit and in truth. That we ought to care about how it is that we're worshiping God. Amos 6 and verse number 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. They basically had gotten to a place that they were at ease. And there's another passage, if we keep reading, that lie upon beds of ivory. Or stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. The chant, that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Nothing wrong with lying on a bed of ivory and there's nothing wrong with eating calves out of the midst of the stall. It's not what that verse says. These people had gotten lazy. They just didn't care anymore. And so they were sitting around laying around on their couches. They were couch potatoes and they were eating steak and baked potatoes and they were listening to their iPods and they didn't care about stuff anymore. And God said, I want you to go prophesy to my people. You don't care about the poor anymore. You lost your mission. You lost your focus. You don't care about worshiping me the correct way. And then number three, I want you to notice they didn't recognize chastisement. Okay? Now, there are several things that happened to these folks. Amos chapter 4, verse number 9 says, I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. And when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So they didn't even recognize it when God was punishing them. They had gotten so disconnected from God that he sent blasting and mildew, which basically just means he was destroying their crops and their gardens and their vineyards and their fig trees and their olive trees. As they grew, he sent in... the. Uh, the, uh, uh, the animal to destroy it, to eat it up. And they didn't even recognize it came from God. That God was saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And I, I sent you, it's essentially like I sent you the ten plagues and you didn't recognize what it is that, that I'm doing to you. I am the one that's behind all of this. And they would not repent. Even after God had chastised them, they didn't wake up to the fact that it was God Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. They still walked away from him. And then I want you to notice Amos chapter 4, verse number 12. Prepare to be thy God, O Israel. And Amos is giving them a warning. Destruction's coming. You are going to be destroyed. And then the last thing I want you to notice is judgment was coming. And it was prophesied, Amos 7, verse number 7 and 8. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line? And then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. So this is, this is one of the funniest passages in Scripture to me. I don't know if you all see the humor in it, but I'm going to share it with you. Because he said, I saw the Lord stand upon a wall with a, with a plumb line in his hand. And he said, what seest thou? And the answer was, a plumb line? I mean, I'm kind of going for the obvious here. I don't know. What answer are you looking for? I've got a plumb line. Y'all know what a plumb line is? You might put a heavy weight on the bottom of a string. And you put a plumb line. 
And what you do in construction with a plumb line is you would take a wall, and a lot of times we use terms when we're building stuff, we say, is that wall level? Well, level is this way, plumb is this way. So a plumb line means that is your wall plumb? Is it straight up and down? That's what you do with a plumb line. It's measuring it against something. It's measuring it against a standard. So the Lord was standing there with a plumb line in his hand. He said, what do you see? And he said, a plumb line. <laughs> Let's go for the obvious. It's a plumb line. And here's, he said, I will not again pass by them anymore. Amos 7 of our sermon 9 said, the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will use against or rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Judgment's coming. You're going to be destroyed as a nation of Israel. And I want you to look at those five points for just a moment. And I want you to make application to them in Wheeler, Texas. And I want you to think about that for a moment. We're a congregation of, pe of God's people. We are a body of Christ. What is our mission? It's to save souls. It's to care for people, try to help folks along the way. And here's what had happened in Israel. Now remember that Assyria was ultimately who destroyed them. And, and Assyria came through in 723 B.C. and just annihilated these people. And all Amos was doing was a few years ahead of time saying, you're fixing to get destroyed if you don't get your act right. So I want us to take the message and say, hey, I'm not saying Wheeler will be destroyed if you don't get your act right. That's not my point. I'm saying, though, who are we? These are the things God wants. These are the things God wants for his people. Look at the first one. What's our attitude toward the poor? Now, I don't know what happens in Wheeler. I know at home, it's a challenge sometimes. We get folks that come in the back door sometimes asking for money. And maybe they don't have. And maybe they truly need. And it's a struggle for us as a congregation sometimes. Do you, you feel like sometimes people are scamming you. You feel like sometimes people are abusing you in some ways. And... But, you know, one of the things I don't ever want us to do is lose our heart for the poor. Maybe we've been scammed. Maybe we have been hurt. Maybe we have been lied to or those kind of things along the way. And maybe we have to put steps in place to keep that from happening. And there's reasonable reasons to do that. And I can tell you at College Park, one of the things that we've done is we really do care about them. So sometimes what people are asking for isn't really what they need. What they're asking for isn't necessarily what you offer them. They may be asking for 20 bucks so that I can pay a light bill or 160 bucks so I can pay a light bill. We recently, I say recently, been in the last couple of years, had somebody come to our congregation. And they said, would you pay this light bill? My, my lights have been turned off. And we sat down with that man and said, you know, don't worry about the light bill, but let us, let us offer you something else. We'll sit down with you. We will budget with you, we'll study with you, we'll work with you. Because it's not a good place to be in a place where you're having to ask somebody to pay your light bill. Let's work on getting out of that place. Let's work on where we can take responsibility for our stuff. Let's help them. And we truly care about them. We want to help them. And we offered, we put it out there on the table and said, listen, we'll spend time, we'll invest time and effort. And he said, nobody's ever offered that before. Most people just pay the light bill. Nobody's ever offered to really help us. So we visited with him a little while longer, and, and he still came back and said, well, will you pay my light bill? Don't worry about the light bill. Let us help you with what you need help with. 
So anyway, we talked to him a little while longer, and then we got to a little bit down the road and at, at the end of the conversation, and as he left, he goes, but will you pay the light bill? That's what I worried. Yes, we're going to take care of the light bill, but what we're offering to you is something much greater than that. You need help, and paying your light bill won't help you. And let me explain to you. I know you all know this, but you're paying his $160 light bill, of which $40 is a reconnect fee. So his light bill is really $120. And the reality is you pay the 160 and next week he still doesn't have lights because he's getting disconnected again because he's already 60 days behind. So you're only paying the late bill to get it turned on, not the bill that's currently due from the time that he's now going to owe another 120 He doesn't have that money either. He needs help. He needs to figure out how to make things happen. So we started visiting with him. What's the situation? And there were four people in his house above the age of 18. And no one had a job. Four people in his house. And we did the math very quickly. And I don't have the math for you. You can do the math. But that means that if four people got jobs that paid $10 an hour, that's $40 an hour for 40 hours, what would that be? You want to do the math? $1,600 a week, $3,200 every two weeks, $6,400 a month. If four people would get a $10 an hour job and no one in the house has a job, they needed help. They need help. And I don't mean 120 bucks is nothing in comparison to the help that they need. They need help with, we need to get a job and how to budget money and how to take care of it. I don't know about you, but I could live on $6,400 a month if I watched it real close and was real tight with money and was very careful with everything. I think maybe we could squeeze by on six. I'm joking, guys. $6,400 a month, Lisa and I'd be going, woo, we're going out to eat. You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking 10 bucks an hour. But let me tell you what happens is you have a few of those conversations along the way and your heart gets hard. And he gets jaded because when he left us that day, he said, where are you going to pay my light bill? Because what he came in for was to get his light bill paid. And what he left with was, am I going to get my light bill paid? And we paid his light bill. And then I'm going to rhetorically ask you, you don't have to answer the question. But what do you think we heard from him after that when we tried to set up a study and tried to spend some time with him and all that kind of thing? What do you think happened? Nothing. He wouldn't return a phone call. He got his light bill paid. And we paid his light bill. But we offered him so much more. And he wouldn't take it. And what I'm concerned about a lot of times as church people is, is that our heart grows hard to that. Maybe we feel like we've been scammed. Maybe we feel like something didn't work right. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have helped him. I'm not saying you shouldn't help all that. I'm just saying that what I don't want us to do is get hard-hearted. I don't want to get to a spot where we don't care about the poor. Where we don't care about having a heart to want to help people. And really help them. As a church, let's don't lose focus to the mission of what we're trying to do. To give people in far more than a light bill and far more than financial help even. Is help with the gospel. That we truly care about people that don't have the gospel. We truly care about folks. And I just want us to remember. Just like Amos warned the children of Israel. Let's remind ourselves today. It's important to keep the focus of what God wants from us. What about worshiping correctly? Are we concerned about those things? The Bible says that we ought to. 
Are we concerned about that? It's real easy in today's culture. It doesn't take you very long to get on the internet or some of the social media platforms or whatever. And There's all types of discussions about what people call worship. But do we have a heart that says, God, I want to please you. We started off this week and somebody stood up in front of this crowd and said, there's an audience of one. And it's not about, I, I know there's edifying and building up each other, but we're not trying to please each other in that way. We're trying an audience of one. We're worshiping God in the way God wants. Are we, are we concerned about that? Are we paying attention to that? That we want God to be our audience and we don't have a heart that says, well, I just really don't care what anybody, I'm not, it's about me now. I don't want to be that way. What about if things in life are not going our way? Do we recognize sometimes that those are things that God uses to warn us to say, hey, maybe I ought to have repentance. Maybe I ought to change what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not doing things the way that I need to be doing them. If things keep bouncing back at me and kicking back at me and it's not working. And I, I think about several illustrations along those ways, but, you know, somebody, for instance, uh, is getting drunk and they're a drunk driver and they're in a bad accident and, and, and then all of a sudden somebody's going, why does bad things always happen to me? Well, you know, you're getting bad consequences because of bad decisions. I'm not saying that when bad things happen, it's always because of bad decisions. That's not true. Sometimes bad things happen to people because of their own decisions. Sometimes bad things happen because of other people's decisions. Sometimes bad things happen because of time and chance. You know, the, the bounce of the ball didn't go your way. Sometimes bad things happen, though, because it's God's providential care that says, hey, I want you to wake up. And see, these people, their crops were being destroyed. They didn't even recognize that it was God saying, hey, wake up and repent. They didn't recognize it. So I'd ask you today, if, if things aren't going your way, what are the reasons for it? Now, honestly, it could be that it's somebody else's fault that you can't control. It could be uh, time and chance. You were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. All those things are possibilities. But could it be you're making bad decisions? Could it be you're making decisions that are separating you from God? And you're reaping the consequences of those things. We ought to be able to analyze that. And then what about a heart of repentance? See, their hearts had grown hard. They were doing the things that they shouldn't be doing, didn't recognize chastisement even when it came. They wouldn't repent. Their hearts had just been hard to the things of God. They weren't concerned about God. What about our hearts? Are they still soft? Do we care about the poor that are around them? Do we care about what God wants from us? Do we care about the decisions that we're making? Do we care that we've got a soft heart that says, I want to change and be what God wants me to be? Because the last things are still true today. Prepare to meet thy God, and judgment is coming. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in a holy conversation and godliness? See, there's coming a day of the Lord, and judgment day is coming. And it's going to be like a thief in the night, like we talked about this morning. 2 Peter 3 talks about as well. Are we prepared for that time? Judgment is coming. And Amos the prophet was warning God's people, 
You need to repent. You need to change what it is you're doing. You need to have a soft heart toward those that are in need. You need to have a soft heart toward God and what God wants. You need to have a soft heart that's willing to repent when we're not doing what it is that we need to be doing. And we're making bad decisions. Where do you stand tonight? I want to tell you, we're going to sing an invitation song. And this is the last sermon in this series of meetings. You may have another service Wednesday night. And you may be able to answer the call Wednesday night. But there's no promise of that. There's no guarantee of that. You may be able to answer the call to the gospel next Sunday. And that opportunity may be there for you. But it may not be there. We don't know. There's no promise of a tomorrow. So we've been talking about spiritual things all week long and drawing closer to God and what God wants from us tonight as we sing this song. Have you been touched by the blood of Christ? Is your heart soft to the things of God? Are you willing to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins? Are you wanting to have a soft heart toward those that are around you and care about those that are around you? Are you... Concerned about God and worship? Are you concerned about God being pleased with you? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.